Today, I'm chatting with Garrett Gorrell from All Out Amazon, and we're talking all things online arbitrage. Uh, Garrett's amazing. This conversation was great. Obviously, I'm, I'm really enjoying online arbitrage right now myself, so I had plenty of questions for him, and he really knows his stuff. Uh, amazing story. Young, young guy, 25 years old, started this during the pandemic, now doing $1.8 million dollars a year with arbitrage uh just just amazing um and he's super thorough uh so we go through a lot of his tactics and strategies for sourcing products for repricing for when to pull the plug on on reorders for products uh, and just the way he scaled his business so this is a great conversation uh, he also has a coaching mentoring program uh, for anybody who's looking to, to jump into online arbitrage Definitely somebody that I would want as a mentor uh, if I'm getting into this right now. So I think everyone will get a lot out of this conversation. So let's dive into it right now. What's up, everyone? And welcome to episode 246 of Two Amazon Sellers and a Microphone, brought to you by Solozo. And today, Continuing on the topic of online arbitrage, I'm very excited. I, I, you all know I love this topic. I've got, I'm dabbling in it right now. Uh, but we're going to be talking about launching and scaling uh, an online arbitrage business. And what better guest to have on than the man who's doing it himself and helping others uh, achieve their goals as well. We've got Garrett Gorl on with us from All Out Amazon. What's up, Garrett? What's going on, my man? I like that intro. It's like you uh, planned that or something. But yeah, it's good to be here. Uh, it only took me uh, about 200 plus times to <laughs> get, that, get that sorted out. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm glad you're here too. Uh, fellow football fan, it's always nice to have. Uh... <laughs> We're recording this in what, late July? Next yeah. couple of weeks, preseason starts. It's going to be unbelievable. I can't wait. This is like my... I get like uh, twitchy this time of year. It's like, so it's close. It's almost here. Uh, but I can't, I cannot wait uh, for that to come along. Uh, but I'm really excited today to be talking uh, more about online arbitrage. Yeah. It's a fascinating business. We were talking before we went live just about, you know, I come from a private label entry point. That's where I started my Amazon journey. Uh, but there's a lot of barriers to entry. I mean, it's going to, it takes cash up front. Uh, and what a great way to raise capital because anybody, I mean, you could have 10 bucks and you could start doing online arbitrage and it can grow and scale and you learn so much along the way. So this, this can be fun talking all about what you, what you've done and the services you offer before we start, I'm going to turn it over to you for a few minutes. I'd love to hear your background. What were you doing, uh, before you started e-commerce online arbitrage? what prompted you to get into it? And then you can start talking about all out Amazon as well and the services you provide. Yeah, I mean, so I probably have a, a bit of a cliche kind of upbringing with e-commerce and, and Amazon specifically, but um, so I went to college, I'm, I'm only 25 now, so I'm still pretty young, right? And so I was in college, what, six, seven years ago, math and finance double major, graduated college, started working corporate, um, I mean, which was fine, right? I wasn't super passionate about it. it, it I mean, it just, it is what it was. Um, um, as I was serving on the weekends at the time, this is before COVID. So right. I was working corporate during the week, serving on the weekends. COVID came and obviously shut down restaurants, shut down pretty much everything. 
right? So I still, I was working remote at the time. So I was still working my corporate job. And, and all of a sudden I had all this free time on the weekends where I was used to serving, used to mm-hmm. just kind of going to the restaurant and spending all weekend there. So like, dang, I have all this free time. What do I do? Right. It's so like one weekend went by, two weekends went by. And I was like, all right, well, I need to find something. And so I probably entered it just as many people did, just getting exposed to some piece of content on Instagram, YouTube, whatever it was, kind of just like sparked my interest. Um, and I just started, you know, experimenting myself. I got into um, Amazon reselling with books, used books. I mean, that was kind of like the easiest entryway at the time. Mm-hmm. Right. Not nearly as much content was available, not nearly as much people teaching and, and just kind of sharing experiences. So I was like, oh, what harm will I do? I just spend a couple of Saturdays going to Goodwill, scanning books um, and just kind of go from there and see what it was. Right. And so the entry point at the time for books was easy. All you needed was a, a Bluetooth scanner, download Scout IQ, um, obviously the seller app and just kind of do your thing and, and see what you can find. Right. Mm-hmm. And so spent a couple of Saturdays there. I saw the potential being that. I started to just dive into the content, just consume this sort of material. So I knew the potential was there. I just didn't know how to get there yet. And the whole book thing just wasn't necessarily doing it for me. Like I was finding books, like that was great, but it clearly wasn't going to be a long-term thing for me because I I just didn't enjoy it. Like I didn't want to go to drive all of these thrift stores and and just kind of operate in the unknown unknown, so to speak. And that's something that I'm big on nowadays with using the data to make product purchasing decisions, right? I like the known. I like to make calculated decisions, strategic decisions that I know the outcome. Mm-hmm. And for books, for me, that wasn't it, right? And so I did that for a couple of weeks. Um, I just started continuing to consume content. And that's when I kind of found purchasing other products, right? Started to get into different categories, experimented with how to get on gating, those sorts of things. And then I started to go to first retail stores, looking for these different products, like normal everyday items from the Walmarts, Targets of the world, went to the outlets, that sort of thing. And that's when my, that's when the spark hit. I was like, well, this is something. I saw the scalability right away. It was a lot more enjoyable. But for me, the interesting part was I can do this from home. I don't need to come here, look and scan products when I can do this at home, look for the same sorts of products. And that scalability was a lot more uh, interesting for me. Right. So at that point, went from books to RA, both of those, I mean, were fine, but they weren't written necessarily because I'm, I'm, I wanted, I wanted the whole thing, right. I wanted, I wasn't going to do this and do, you know, a five, $10,000 business. I wanted to build a multi-million dollar business. Right. And so that wasn't going to happen. All right. That wasn't going to happen books. So I started to do more research in terms of how to make a product sourcing decision. And as you kind of get consumed with more of this information, that's all, that's ultimately what it comes down to. They're talking about private label, wholesale, OA, RA. The foundational aspect when we're talking about Amazon is always going to be that one split second decision of whether to purchase a product or not. Mm -hmm. How to use, how to leverage, how to consume all the data that's provided for us and make that educated forecasting decision in terms of whether this product is going to act for me beneficially three, four, five, six months down the line or will it not? So that's kind of where I focus my attention how to get better, how to critique my skill, how to continue to gain experience with this one key aspect, this one key foundational point in terms of purchasing products profitably and accurately, right? And so that's kind of where I started to learn more about Keepa, started to dabble with some different sourcing techniques and sourcing back then was a lot different than than it is now, right? Um, 
there was no expander, there was no cell ramp, right? So I was experimenting with tactical arbitrage and just kind of just doing a lot of that, just putting sweat equity and just doing a lot of manual sourcing um, and just kind of built that snowball slowly and surely um, making a lot of terrible buys, but that's kind of how you learn. Sure. Right? Because there's so many little nuances when you're talking about purchasing products that it's just inevitable when you're starting out to not pick up on all of them. Right. And so you make a bad purchase, you go back and say, Oh, well this, this stunk right now I'm losing mm -hmm. money, but why? Right. So going back to the analysis, what piece of information did you overlook? Did you not pick up on that you could use the next time to make that more accurate decision? And so that's kind of what I've been doing for the past three, four years, just continuing to build the catalog, build the business, um, bring on more wholesale products um, and just continuing rinse and repeat. I love it. And we're going to, there's a lot to unpack there. So we're going to dive into it, but then now you're helping others with all out Amazon. So mm -hmm. talk about what, what made you decide to go that route. Uh, it's great. I mean, you're putting out content, you're helping people, you've got services, coaching. What, what was the impetus to start that? And, um, uh, How's that going so far? It's just, uh, there's a there's a massive market for paying for experience. And, and, and everything, everything that you go into, right? You take t-ball, you take baseball lessons, you're paying mm -hmm. for someone else's experience. You, you, you have to pay to learn anything streamlined. Same mm -hmm. thing with Amazon. I put in two, three years of, of putting in the sweat equity, learning, making the mistakes, trial and error to build what I know, but retrospectively, I put in hundreds of hours to learn it, where if I can invest in a course, a, a mentorship, some sort of capability to streamline that, right? Because visualizing it, the, 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 the journey of learning goes like this, right? It goes like this, up, down, up, down, up, down, lots of downs and ups, right? But a, a program that mentors you and kind of guides you through takes where you want to be, takes where you are and tries to draw a straight line. Obviously, there's going to be some up and some ups and downs and volatility, but it tries to consolidate that volatility of learning to one streamlined path, right? And so I saw the market demand for something, for a product, as in, in, especially after COVID, more people wanting to work remote, more people wanting to build their own business and do this sort of thing. There was a huge market demand for it, but not a lot of people doing it well. And so that's kind of where I thought there was an opportunity to develop a product, a program. Um, I don't necessarily believe in courses like, courses where you don't interact with someone. Um, so we built a, a program, a month long program where we hold some, essentially hold someone's hand from the beginning to um, the end point going through and just consolidating everything you need to know in a consolidated four week period with live training, Zoom calls, that sort of thing to guide them through their growing pains without actually having to firsthand experience the growing pains, essentially. Yeah. I mean, you're spot on. I mean, I, I remember when I started a long time ago with private label, I took a course, it streamlined it. I mean, I would have been spinning my wheels for a long time uh, with online arbitrage right now. I mean, I'm semi taking a course because I get to talk to a lot of people like you via this podcast. Right. Uh, but still, I mean, you're right. I'm in this up and down right now. There's, I mean, I, we could spend 10 hours talking about all the nuances that I'm starting to discover with that are completely different from, private label yep you're not dealing with a buy box or how many competing sellers or is amazon selling or 
you know, can you predict like this price war that's about to happen? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, there's so many different nuances, but when you're, when you're coaching people, how good does it feel when you start to see them having success and the feedback that you're getting? I mean, you're, that's, this business can be a life changer. Oh, for sure. I mean, hundreds of thousands of dollars are up or on the table, especially now we're recording this in July, heading into Q4. Like I, I tell everyone, like life-changing money is on the table these next four months. If you are willing to step up and grab it, life-changing money. I'm talking tens, hundreds, of, like depending on what capital you have to, to spend, right? But potentially life-changing money is on the table in Q4 all year long, but this period of time specifically. At this point, it's just head down grindstone for until essentially mid-January, right? Because we call like the extended uh, Mm -hmm. Q4, that little Christmas to like mid to late January. That's like gift card season, we call it. Yeah. So demand continues throughout January. But yeah, I mean, from this point until January, it's it's grind time. It's Absolutely. We got, uh, here, I'll put this up here. We had a comment come in. You, you know, Fast Track FBA, he loves you. <laughs> he keeps smashing it, which is exciting. That's what I love about this community is, mm-hmm. I mean, one thing, you know, in in private label, p- people are cagey about their product. You know, the, the mm-hmm. worst thing that can happen in private label is you launch or develop a product. And then a year later, there's 40 copycats of yep. you stealing market share. Online arbitrage. I don't think people realize it. I mean, it's, it's eye-opening when you start researching and looking for products. There's millions and millions and millions and millions of potential opportunities out there. And, and a lot of people can be selling the same product, and it's fine. I mean, they're, the sales velocity, you wouldn't be able to order enough. Uh, and the interesting piece is, as you grow, they, there becomes more opportunity, right? Because, and yeah. this, is, this is sort of like a, a self-analytic part that I did recently is, Last year we finished, we did about 1.8, right? At like 17, 18%. But this year we took, all right, so we, we looked at the 17%. What happens if we drop that to 11 or 12% margin, right? Margin, not ROI, margin. Mm-hmm. We developed, obviously we, we developed a lot more spending power, but dropping the margin, you're allowed to spend, you just naturally can spend a lot more, ultimately increasing your top line, thus increasing your bottom line. For so sure. as your business grows, you can start saying yes a lot more just by simply quote unquote like overpowering people, but just outspending people, right? When you're strapped on capital, you have to restrict what you can buy just to opportunity cost sort of conversation to maximize your dollar. But your dollars become, you have a lot more obviously dollars to spend once you grow. Thus you can drop your margin and just your business catapults, right? Because talking in the OA space, the amount of products that we call like low hanging fruit products in that like 11, 12, 13, 15% margin range, there's thousands, unlimited amounts of products, right? Unlimited. I to yeah. find products in the 20, 25% margin. Yeah, that's a lot more difficult. But once you can start saying yes to lower products, it, it just becomes infinitely more scalable, easier to find products, um, and just obviously making a ton more money in the process. Yeah. And it, yeah, you're right. It opens it up. Those are, those are products that other people are bypassing yep. because they assume that it's low. But if you, I mean, if you're putting in a dollar and within two weeks, you're getting a dollar, $10, 25 back, just do it over and over and over again. 
I'll take 12% margins all day, every day. Yeah. I mean, that's what's, that's the fascinating part about this business is it's, you can almost be completely agnostic on the product. Mm -hmm. You could just, you could just look at the numbers, not even know what the product is. I mean, that's a good point mm -hmm. because I always talk about, we buy data, we don't buy products, mm -hmm. right? I don't care if it's a toothbrush, if it's a soccer ball, if it's a clothing shirt, I buy data. I'm buying into the historical data of a product. I'm buying into the past four, six, eight months of that product. I don't care what it is. I'm buying the history because I use that history to one, mitigate my risk, two, right. forecast what that's going to do. Right. And I talk about all the time, I don't buy, I don't care what the buy box is now. I care about what it has been, right? Because I use the accumulation of the past three, four, six months of what that trending is to make that decision. Right. Because the current buy box is always going to be deceiving. It could be up, could be down. Every product market is differently volatile. Yeah. I care about the trending, the long-term trend, because that's what you forecast. You don't forecast on a, on a specific number, one data point. You forecast on hundreds. Right. Yeah. I mean, a lot of times that price is super low for some weird reason. People are liquidating it, whatever. Mm -hmm. But it's going to pop right back to where it was uh, most times if, if, yeah, it's I mean, like a, if it's an average buy box. But that also highlights the the risk mitigation. I mean, yeah. it, you're like most likely worst case scenario going to get the majority of your money back. I mean, yeah. that's, that's on a on a pretty bad buy. You're you're going to get you know eighty percent of your money back, which that's that's low risk. That's very low risk. And if, then if your catalog ends up being thousands of products, mm -hmm. you know it's going to average out and you'll be, you'll be totally fine. And you can always just pivot and move and pivot and move. Let's dive into uh, more of the details. What, what's the day, what does an average day look like for you? you? You wake up, what, what's going on? How are you operating your business on a day-to-day -day basis? Um, so a lot of it is restocks and, and just replenishment, right? Because the power in this, of this business is in the restocks, mm -hmm. right? Once you can, develop a, a catalog of products that you can just rinse and repeat on and replay and restock. That's when the business gets, that's really powerful and really cool to run. So a lot of it is just managing restocks and restocking and just making sure we're consistently staying in stock because that's a powerful tool, right? Sure. You don't, when you're out of stock in a product, you're not just missing those sales. You're qualitative, qualitatively affecting your buy box proportion, right? Because if you track a buy box ownership over time, people who remain in stock consistently, rise that chart and people who are out of stock or in and out of stock drop, right? So when you're out of stock, your buy box percentage is going to go down. So yes, you're missing sales that are just naturally going to come to you. But over the long term, your ownership of that product diminishes. Even OA wholesale products, it's going to go down, right? Amazon, from what I've seen in the data that I've looked at, Amazon significantly favors consistently longevity on products in, in stock rate. So that's one thing that's we value is making sure we're always staying in stock, acknowledging when restocks are happen, when we need to restock, um, when we're going out of stock, when we shouldn't be, uh, when we should be just kind of discontinuing a product. Um, but yeah, a lot of it is, is restocking. A lot of it nowadays is content um, mm -hmm. and obviously driving the program that we offer. So putting out reels, putting out stories, answering questions in the DMs, that sort of thing. Um, yeah, and then minority of my time is spent sourcing and finding new products but in terms of go ahead do you have a team have you built out a team to help with these parts 
VAs yeah. or employees? So, uh, so we've we've messed with VAs. We've had a couple. Um, we usually just use them for temporary, like temporary employment. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't keep any long-term VAs. Just I mean, we don't really need them. Um, like we use VAs, we hire them temporarily if we need to continue to rent and run a sale. Um, just like continue to loop a sale. We'll bring one on just to sit there, give them a card and just all right, loop this until they're out of stock, that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, for the long term, like I have my, my brother who runs the business myself. Um, we both have our significant others that help. So it's like a family operation sort of thing. Um, but we, we just, it's a, a group effort. But in terms of like the daily day, day to day operation, we have a prep center that does all of our prepping, right? So we don't touch that. That helps a lot in terms of the actual load management aspect. I talked about the restocks, sourcing new products. In terms of the daily management, I mean, that's really what goes into it. Um, we manage pricing once a week or twice a week, depending on what we have going on, but always managing and adjusting the mins and maxes for all of our products. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of the scope of, bit of the business, that's what it takes. If you can outsource prepping, which I advise everyone to do based on, I mean, obviously it's a lot more of a mathematical decision depending on what state you're in um, based on the sales tax and that sort of thing. Right. But regardless, I advise everyone to outsource prep. Once you get there and you can find a reliable prep center, the business isn't as um, it just, it doesn't suck up as much of your time as you would imagine. Right. Once you continue to build the snowball is the key, right? Because, it's all in the products that you purchase. If you build your cattle correctly, it'll build and grow and continue to scale. Cause we don't, I always, we, we stack products. We don't like lay them nicely on the floor. What I mean by that is when we're sourcing today, we're going to buy something. When we source next month, we're still buying the products that we purchased today and we're still mm-hmm. sourcing. So we're finding new ones. When we source the next month and we buy the next month, we're buying that month's products, but now we're buying three months worth of products. Mm-hmm. When you extract that over years of time and you keep stacking these products, it's the, the business grows a lot quicker, a lot faster, a lot bigger than if you were always looking for the next five, 10 units, right? If you're always hunting the next five or 10 units, if you stop working, the business stops working. If you stop buying, then you have nothing to show for all of that work. You're essentially working an hourly job. You can escape the hourly aspect of this business by stacking your products by allowing them to work when you're not. That's meaning restocks, replens. That's how you, that's how you uh, exponentially grow the time in the business. That brings up a good point. Cause I run into this all the time and some, you know, it may be, I may be overly cautious on this. Um, wh- at what point do you, what has to happen for you to stop ordering that product or take it off your list of replens? Cause I'll notice you know, I'll send in whatever, 30 units or whatever of this, this product I'm sourcing and I'll, I'll sell them. It'll be good, but I'm watching like my margins shrink throughout yep. that process. And then I'll go to re replan and I'll look at it and I'm like, I don't know. This seems like this is kind of tanking, even though the buy box average still looks good. Right. Um, so sometimes I like, maybe I shouldn't invest in this one anymore. At what point do you pull the trigger on a product and it's like, okay, we'll have to put a pause on this one for a while until we see better metrics. Yeah. So that's, I mean, that's kind of a loaded question, right? So to start, right. It's always, we always want to be moving our products. And right. so for me, if something hasn't moved in the last two weeks, something has to change. Right. Typically, obviously that's price. I lower the minimum to match the market, whether it 
meets our criteria or not, if it hasn't moved in two weeks, that minimum is going down. If I have to take 5%, it's going to because mm-hmm. potential profit on Amazon's shelf is less than less valuable to me than exact profit now. Like I'll take five profit five percent profit now over a potential 10, 15% in two weeks, two months, whatever that case may be, because it's not you don't it's not guaranteed. Yeah, it's cash you can reinvest really quickly. So exactly. And so the conversation starts based on velocity. If I haven't, and we always have the mins and maxins on, on a product level basis, given our repricer. So it always starts with velocity over a two week span. After that, the conversation goes, okay, given my market on this product, our min, our max, what we're trending, what we want to trend at, what we want to price at, how many units are below market, right? We have data that tells us how many sales we're getting per day. We also have data that says how many sales that product is moving given a day's time frame. Then it's just simply a math equation. You look at how many units are below market, what you deem to be the market. If your market is 12% of a product, how many units, given the overall quantity of how many that, that listing is moving, are below your market? If the product is moving 1,000 times per day and there's 10,000 or 20,000 or whatever the case may be below market, well, that, I mean, that's something that's an indicator that the market is to the product is telling you that that market has changed since when you bought into it. Right. Mm-hmm. So the, the whole, what you expect, what you want the market to be compared to what the market is telling you, that's always going to be our key indicator. Velocity is first. And then the second is what is the product telling you? We'll look at the keeper graph. Where is the market? How many units are below market and kind of make that evaluation. Right. Yeah. And then it gets a little more complex being how much capital you have in that product or compared to your overall capital. If I have $1,000 in the business and I have 500 wrapped up in one product that's now below market, I'm a lot less inclined to wait it out. Rather, if I have $200,000 in the business and I have 2,000 wrapped in a product, right? I may be more inclined at that point to kind of wait it out and see what happens um, in that that scenario. But yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I mean, that's that's kind of along the same line of thinking that that I've been on is like, look, Look, I'm I'm noticing this trend. There's a lot of in-stock units. They're priced really low. They're priced potentially lower than what I what I'm willing to accept based on my capital. If I can put it in something else that's going to give it a better return, I'm going to do that. Right. Um, but then if you see it's going to change, then you you jump back in for sure on that product. Um, I want to talk about now sourcing and ordering because there there's some unique things. I mean. Online arbitrage for anybody, we didn't really talk exactly what it was, but I mean, you're ordering products from other retailers, whether it's Walmart, Target, their own website, there's a million places Mm -hmm. you can order from. Um, And they're they're shipped to you. Use a prep center. We're going to talk about that in a second. Um, But when you're ordering, what is there, you know, other than the metrics, the criteria of it being, you know, you're calculating if it's going to be potentially profitable for you. You're calculating probably how many units you yeah. want to make an order of. Um, what what else? Is there anything else that you're looking for? I mean, is there places that you're going all the time where you're finding it? Or is that all part of your sourcing strategy is just trying to find the, the best place to buy this product, no matter where it is, and have it shipped? Yeah. So a lot of times, so, and I'll preface this by just giving the, the overall the overall journey of sourcing, right? I talk about cold and warm products as part of your sourcing journey. In the beginning, when you have no proven sources, you have no proven competitive sellers you can learn from, 
You have no niche that you're operating in. You're just shooting blind, mm-hmm. right? So thus, you have to cast a very wide net. In doing so, the conversion in terms of total products you look at based on total products that you purchase is going to be super low mm-hmm. because you have no sort of you have no yeah. awareness and no strategy in terms of where you're sourcing. So you have to cast a wide net. That's kind of where a TA comes into play, where you can look through thousands of data points super efficiently to find those few winners. Mm-hmm. Right, but as you develop your sourcing, you start to get more refined with where you're looking. You're looking at competitive sellers that you know are competitive to you in the same niche, buying from the same sorts of stores. You're looking from the proven sources that you have. You're looking from suggested and related products to what you're already successfully selling. So as you develop that that conversion on products you're looking at gets higher because you're getting a lot more refined, right? So I, and now I bring that up because at this point. We're only sourcing from competitive sellers who we've kind of accrued over the time that we've been in this, that we've deemed buying from that. We've just kind of calculated that buying from the same sorts of stores, same sorts of products and the same sorts of niche, because there's always, we assume they're always sourcing, they're always finding the products and so are we. So it's kind of leveraging their team and our team together, right? When we look at their products, if we already kind of know they're buying from the same sorts of places, all we got to do is just map that back to the source and then we find another product. Right. So we're focusing on our sellers that we like to study. We're just looking at always the sources that we have proven to be successful for sales and just new product lines and that sort of thing. Um, and then whenever we're on a product, you if you scroll down, Amazon kind of suggests and related products that people purchase alongside that first one. Sometimes that comes from the same source. Right. So those kind of three factors from an OA perspective specifically really encapsulate most of the sourcing we do um, because we want to be as warm as can. We all want to always be looking at warm products, makes conversion higher, makes us more efficient sourcing, right? I want to be look at potentially 15, 20 products and buy five of them, six of them, right? That's how we spend our time sourcing. It's super strategic and refined, but that has come in with thousands of sourcing hours. You develop those sorts of things. Yeah. Yeah, I can see, uh, well, first of all, like looking at other sellers and seeing what they're selling is, that's a great tactic for sourcing products. I mean, all you got to do then is find out, you know, search where they could possibly buy these from um, at a a good price. Um, But yeah, it also, I'm seeing myself do the same process. It's like, okay, I'm starting to get an idea. I mean, I've I've used some different lists and some different things. That's a great starting point. Yeah. but I'm able, I'm able to see now, oh, well, this thing has seven variations. I wonder if these other variations are possible mm-hmm. you know, to, to sell on. And usually they are. You know, usually these, when, when you land on a good one, whatever that brand is, they're not controlling their Amazon uh, presence. It's all third-party yep. resellers. And so you're, there's going to be lots of opportunity in all those different areas, which is which is great. I mean, I, I know I keep saying it over and over again, but there's millions and millions of we, products. And we love variation product listings, right? Because yeah. we seek out complexity when we source because complexity creates a moat around our products. Yeah. Thus, keeping out the newer sellers, sellers that, you know, just keeping out sellers in general always is going to raise our margins, right? And so we seek complexity. Some of the ways we do that, we looking for products without a sales rank. A lot of people avoid those. A lot of times TA skips over those, but sometimes it's just a glitch in the data. You can validate that a product is still moving a lot 
by other factors, right? Increase in reviews and ratings, right. change in price, all those sorts of things can validate and confirm that a product is moving without this sort of the validation of a sales rank, which most people will skip over, right? So that adds a layer of complexity, thus keeping out a lot of sellers. Another thing is, is variations, right? Different variations have different veloc relative velocities across the variations of that ASIN, right? The sales mm -hmm. rank remains the same across all variations, but the mm -hmm. velocity obviously doesn't. A size 14 isn't going to move as, a, as quick as a size 9 or 10. Right. But a lot of people can't do that analyzation in terms of um, saying yes to the 9 or no to the 14, mm -hmm. right? So thus adding another layer of complexity to the listings, right? So, and then once we find one colorway, if the other colorways are the same or other sizes are the same or styles are the same, most as long as the price point is, is the same, which a lot of times it is, you find other SKUs, other ASINs without even doing any more work, right? So variation listings are awesome. Yeah. The other thing that I've been playing around with, uh, curious to hear your thoughts on this, is uh, multi-packing things. Mm -hmm. um, I know you use a prep center, so if you do multi-packing, I'm really curious to see <laughs> if your prep center can handle that for you. But Things that are like uh, grocery items or anything that you can get at Walmart uh, in a four pack, they become their own skew on Amazon. A lot of times people don't, they, they're looking for a, a bulk buy. Yep. And you can really bump up your margins on products like that. Are you doing any any sort of multi-packing? We have a couple, um, not too, too much, right? Because because we, we just naturally don't do an incredible lot in grocery. That's where a lot of that multi-packing comes. Yeah. Um, but again, adding a layer of complexity, right? Yep. The TAs of the world, all the sourcing softwares are going to pick up pick up that first one, but not necessarily the two pack, three pack, four pack, and so on, right? right. So those sorts of listings we love what we love because it creates mo moats around the product. So yeah, multi packs are great, um, but yeah, yeah, and a lot of times, I mean, those don't match up. Like TAs, not they don't see a four pack at a Walmart because it doesn't exist. You got to poly bag it yourself. Yeah. And, and make it. Um, yeah. It's I like the idea of the complexity. The, the thing about the uh, not having a, a BSR or if you look at different tools, keep it'll show like no sales. That can be wrong uh, for sure. And the a great tip you had, though, is checking the review count. If it's increasing, it's got to no, be sales no. coming in. Even, you could even tell that, that things are happening based on the volatility of the buy box. Right. If oh, it's. Yeah. If it's just flat, it's not moved. Like people aren't going in and out of stock. Like there are a lot of smart sellers out there. Mm -hmm. Listings should not be flat. Correct. Right. There's too many smart sellers out there for a really good listing to be flat. Right. And so you look for the volatility, you look for the consolidated volatility, you look for the movement, people going out of stock, in stock, those sorts of things, everything happening. You look for restocks, right? You can see that in Keepa. Judging by how many other sellers are restocking, that gives you an indication of how good that product is doing, right? Because if it's good enough for them to restock, well, it's good enough for you to stop in the beginning. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So all those sorts of things you can validate without the, the, the sales rank giving you that validation. Interesting. Another big um, hurdle that keeps people out is gated categories. Yep. Um, and there's a ton of opportunity in there. Um, I have a little bit of an advantage because I've had my Amazon account for a decade. I've sold a lot of products through it. Uh, so I'm naturally ungated for a lot of things. Um, but certain things like brand names like Nike or something like that. I mean, it's 
hey, there's more steps to help yeah. me get in, break into a into some of those categories. What I know, I know on your website you've got a lot of ungating guides. I'm gonna go check those out for sure. Uh, but what, just in general, how does somebody go about getting ungated to to sell a big name brand? Yeah, so it comes from quote unquote an invoice from a, 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 some sort of supplier or distributor of the item, approved supplier or distributor of an item that consists of 10 units of an ASIN under that brand or category. Um, it needs to have gear seller name on the invoice or the receipt, needs to have address, all that good stuff, the telephone number. Um, but yeah, a lot of people overhype that. I mean, it doesn't necessarily have the a whole invoice thing scares a lot of people, like scares, throws a lot of people from a loop. That's something that's really gotten lightened up over the years. Um, like for example, Nike, you can ungate Nike just from East Bay, which isn't like a supplier or distributor. It's just some site that offers sells Nike, but they sell, they send you like a PDF of a receipt, which works. But as long as it has 10 units of that brand category, whatever you want to get ungated in with the the name of your under your seller name or name under your seller account that has to match your address phone number the website's address phone number um it'll work yeah interesting because i always thought you couldn't use sounds like that's a maybe an outlier because you couldn't use like a receipt from walmart uh or can you <laughs> uh honestly probably nowadays you, you may be able to i know cole's receipts work now like i really people you have used cold receipts yeah interesting and all you gotta do is buy 10 units of the product you were gonna buy anyway yep oh all yeah, yeah i've known a ton of people that like take the e the email convert it into a pdf um and just shoot it in and, and it works um it may not work the first time but if you submit it two three four times i mean i've known a lot of people firsthand to have that work for them um same thing with authenticity authenticity has come up been a big thing in the past like eight months in terms of just like product authenticity complaints mm -hmm. that's something that's gotten really lightened over the year over the months i guess rather than years is amazon accepting receipts to prove authenticity of a product as long as you have like a, a pdf receipt with all the info matching up yeah that proves the authenticity as well this there's so much, I mean, this is, we're covering a lot of some of the nuances, but mm -hmm. this is what makes it fun. I mean, it, to me, I enjoy the game. I enjoy the hunt for products, Right. love making the sales. Um, and any of these things that come up, they're temporary. You can, you can solve them. You, you know, we're like in a situation like ungated worst case scenario is you buy 10 units from Kohl's. It doesn't work. They don't accept it. You yeah. sell them on eBay. So I mean, people nowadays just return the units they sold, they bought for ungating anyways. Ah. Right. So you buy the units, you get the receipt, you ungate, then you return them. I mean, that's what a lot of people do regardless, just because right. they don't waste the time to like find a profitable or even break even product to ungate. Um, Interesting. The thing is though, right. You can't just buy a random unit from any of these stores or sites or distributors. It needs to be like a listing on Amazon. Right. So that's the thing. And the one thing you got to be careful, right? And so if you're looking for an ungating toys, for example, sometimes Amazon categorizes things really wacky, right? So you would think a toy is in a toy under a toy category, but it could be in like health and household or something. Sure. Right. So you just have to make sure that the, the listing that you're using is gated under what you want it to be gated under. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. What um, there, like 
we're going to run up on time here, but I mean, there's like repricing strategies. Yeah. Uh, there's, there's so many other things. Let, let's, let's talk about repricing because that's such an important part of this for anybody listening. If you're going to get into whether it's retail arbitrage, online arbitrage, if you don't have a repricer running, you're not going to be winning the buy box enough of the time for sure. Um, but then there's a lot of different criteria you could put on there. I mean, I'm using a repricer and I'm basically setting a min and a max ROI that I'm looking for, mm -hmm. um, you know, and then a lot of other factors of who I want to compete against, et cetera. But when you set up a repricer, what, what are sort of the main criteria you're looking to achieve? I mean, so our, our pricing strategy is actually fairly simple. Um, a lot of people overcomplicate it, in my opinion, right? Mm -hmm. And so there's two different products that you're going to reprice. Products with a buy box and products without a buy box. And you have to reprice them differently. With a buy box, ours is simple. We set a min and a max for that product based on the market and based on where we want to be selling. And then we just chase the buy box within those two given um, price points, mm -hmm. right? I mean, it's pretty much that's it. As long as you're even with the current buy box, you're in contention. If you're in contention, you're, you're, you are going to get sales. That's just kind of the fact of the matter, right? And so it's really as simple as that. Set a minute and max, just chase the buy box within those two um, thresholds and you will get sales as long as they're listing. As long as everything else checks out, yep. as long as it is oscillating within those thresholds and the product just moves, the sales will happen, right? All the hard work is done. The sales come when you put in the hard work. Once it's listed, it's hands off. That's where you reap the benefit, right? The other, the second product without a buy box, you have to, you have to price, reprice it differently. Obviously, given that there is no buy box, that side of the window, right? And so here, you're just simply attacking or, or competing with the lowest FBA offer, right? Because as a consumer's perspective, right? If there's no buy box, you have to hit that see other offers or see yep. whatever that button says brings up all the offers, as a consumer's perspective, they're not going to scroll down to the most expensive price. Mm -hmm. like if they want that product and they're set on buying that product, what are they going to do? They're going to look for that Prime logo, get the cheapest one, and buy. They don't care about their seller's reviews. They don't care about the seller's ratings, number of ratings. They don't know what any of that means. right? They may favor a five-star over a three-star seller, but they're not going to favor one who has 90 reviews as opposed to one who has 60. right? They're just going to go based on the lowest FBA offer, the one that gets to them the quickest and the cheapest, right? And so the repricing is simply dedicated to being the lowest FBA offer at all times. Yep. Yeah, you're right. It is simple. And you're you're also right that people overcomplicate that yeah. entirely. Um, but it, that's, you know, it's a critical component. You have to have a repricer to really be successful. Um, and it takes a little time to learn and figure out, you know, what you're, min and max should be what you're operating on and then it's always like you said going back and if something hasn't moved drop that min way down get your yep. cash back any way exactly. you can all right i know a lot of people are listening to this your your information is invaluable your passion about it is really exciting i mean i love talking about this especially with you because you're getting me excited about going out and sourcing more products, um, but you're helping a lot of people. And I know people are listening to this. They're like, I want to work with Garrett. I want, I want to be, I want to be mentored by him. Tell people what that process is like, where do they need to go? How do they get in contact with you? How can they, how can they start learning from you? 
Yeah, I mean, so I, the, the first thing I would say is just follow me on Instagram, right? I post most daily content. Um, every day I try and post just some sort of piece of content that I think is valuable for the, the greater audience, right? So I'm always posting on Instagram. That's probably when I spend the most of my time on social media is Instagram. Um, that's where I onboard for the program is Instagram, right? So definitely want to be following me there. And then the program is is really geared towards streamlining the um, the learning curve, right? We all know that it's a heavy learning curve in the beginning, but once you get through it, there's a lot of green grass on the other side, right? Amazon is really front heavy and the program is designed to alleviate and streamline that learning curve, right? And so we operate a hybrid model of wholesale and OA. And so that's kind of what the program is catered to. The first week, it's a four-week program. First week is committed solely to doing a deep dive in Keepa, being able to look at a product and make a yes or no decision. Um, second week is, is, is geared towards creating the OA infrastructure of how to find OA products consistently week after week. The third week is wholesale. How do we approach wholesalers? How do we find them? How do we turn a, pro a wholesaler account into a profitable one? All those sorts of things, how to um, like develop that relationship. And then the fourth week, the fourth module we call is, is your first seven-figure sales year because that's where we kind of just tie it all together in terms of building out teams, building out systems, using data to drive your business, those sorts of things, right? So it's four weeks. Everything is done through live Zoom recordings, live um, coaching calls. Um, but yeah. Awesome. Well, everyone needs to go check out your content. You're on Instagram. I'll put the links in the description. Uh, they can also check and learn more about you at All Out Amazon. Mm -hmm. they can, uh, I see you've got leads lists uh, that you provide. Is that correct? I'm uh, I, might, I might have to update the website. We okay. He's not doing that. Uh, but at least the private coaching to learn how to, right. to find uh, great leads. Uh, Garrett, I really appreciate it. This has been a great conversation. We'll have to get you back on. Let's do it. Or talk, talk more. We can do some dive in a little deeper on some of these uh, topics, but I know everybody listening learned a ton uh, and you'll probably have a, a bunch more followers on, on Instagram. I'll be one of them. So I'll be following you after this and we'll stay in touch. It was uh, there's, there's so much here, but again, really, really appreciate you coming on. And I really appreciate everyone who tuned in to listen today. If you like content like this, make sure you're subscribing to our podcast you can also see all of, of the uh, live streams on Solozo's social media platform. So Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube. You can see all of our past recordings with great guests like Garrett. Um, so make sure you check that out and subscribe to uh, all of those. Additionally, if you're a private label seller or you have your own brand on Amazon and advertising is uh, a pain point for you or something that you'd like to outsource to experts and software that can help manage it. We can help you at Solozo. Uh, you can go to solozo.com right now and schedule a demo. Uh, you'll be talking to me. We can talk all about selling on Amazon. And also I can show you how Solozo can help automate and optimize your advertising. So check us out, solozo.com. All right, that's it for today. Garrett, thank you so much for joining us. And thanks everybody for tuning in.